Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Queston Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Quick reminder, folks, if you're a fan of Margin Call or even an occasional listener or a first-time listener, you can support our efforts by going to our site, questonmedia.com. That's K-W-E-S-T-O-N media.com and clicking on the very chic donate button at the top of our homepage. We can't do it without your support, folks. Thank you in advance. All right, folks, we're here today to talk about the gig economy, specifically Uber and Lyft, uh, other app-enabled side hustles, and people uh, who have become essentially primarily dependent on side hustles as their primary hustles and what that means for our social safety net. And um, a lot of this is in the news lately because Uber and Lyft drivers are planning a 24-hour strike uh, to protest their pay. Uh, Uber and Lyft drivers in eight U.S. cities plan to stop taking rides on May 8th. So, you know, first of all, mark your calendars. Whether or not you want to support this strike is up to you, but, you know, you shouldn't be trying to get to your grandma's funeral and then try to call your Uber and not be able to get there. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's scheduled for May 8th. Um, but, you know, they're, they're protesting f- uh, to demand better pay and better working conditions. Uh, this is you know, this is a classic tactic. This is what laborers do when they feel they're being exploited. It's a noble effort. The only thing that's maybe new or different about it is that they are gig economy people. Who do they work for? What what happens when you work for an app? You don't ever see your boss. You can't, you know, go into their office and ask for a raise. Um, So it raises a lot of interesting questions. Uh, There was also a story in the New York Times about the Labor Department this week weighing in on... uh, whether gig economy companies like if you work for uh like an app like uber or something like are you a contractor or are you an employee right like obviously it's better for the company if you're a contractor because then you're expendable um but those are the kind of questions that are in the news right now about uber lyft task rabbit all that stuff um and it's a big question because increasingly this is how people make their money you know like i supplement my income very heavily on eBay, that's different, but you know, people people are using the internet to make money, man. Like, you know, I, I'm not on the bubble or vulnerable because of that, but people use Airbnb. What does that suggest for, you know, people who work in hotels and have health insurance if Airbnb, you know, puts Hilton out of business, whatever. So a lot of interesting uh, social questions raised by this, and I can't think of any better person to talk to about it than our guest today, Jordan Correno. Uh, AKA Acoustics, who is a Tampa Bay area, St. Petersburg to be specific, based uh, Uber driver, rapper, uh, and uh, just a very funny, cool guy. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks, Russell. That's a wonderful intro. Thanks for having me. That's, I hope it sounded a little bit sarcastic when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I'm actually really pleased that you, you mentioned St. Pete specifically and not just stuck it to Tampa Bay area. Because, I know yeah, how it is. Same Pete, same Pete well, man. As, as a person who's from the real Bay Area, oh, okay. I also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. You know, I get yeah. I get mad. Like, you know, I, I know people from Oakland and it's like, oh, you're from the Bay. It's like, no, nah, say where you're from, you know. Yeah, exactly. and, and people don't know the geography. So, I, you know, you're from St. Pete. You represent. That's why I wanted to get you that jersey, the Tampa Smokers jersey. Uh, and then I was like, you know what? That's, that's misleading, man. That's kind of a misnomer for him because he's a St. Pete dude. 
and I want to let him represent the way that he needs to. So I, I respect that. I also Thank wanted you. to I also wanted to give you a shout out as a musician, most notably because your first contribution to Queston was a piece about being a gig economy rapper. It relates to our conversation today, but you know, you're an artist, you're a musician, uh, and in the old days, you know, those guys would make it by whatever, you know, just like an actor or anybody else. You wait tables, you sell some weed, you know, you walk dogs, <laughs> like whatever, you know, like whatever yeah. you got to do yeah, yeah. to make money to get studio time, yeah. um, you know, and you're you're doing it by driving an Uber, man. I think that's cool. It's a very like 21st century hip hop story. Um, so today we'll be talk focusing a little bit more on uh, the Uber side of it than the music. Although I am cu- curious about what projects you have in the works. I always am. Um, so I, I'll start off by asking this because I, I want to learn a little bit more about like how big a part of your life Uber is, like how many hours a day do you spend driving and, and how much, uh, of a portion of your income, like how dependent are you on, um, that app for your livelihood? So three years ago when I started Ubering, um, it was probably 90, 95% relying on Uber for my income, you know, pay rent, bills, groceries, uh, any type of, you know, costs that come my way, especially, you know, being a dad and, you know, trying to make music, the, the bills pile up, so to speak. So three years ago, I was, it was 90%, 95% my, uh, income. Nowadays I've gotten it down to 45, 50. And that's more down to the fact of my other side hustle with the studio and the clothing brand, as you might know about. Um, and I'm fortunate enough that what we've been doing in the studio has been taken off, but I still do 50% of my income comes from Uber. I probably, when I don't have my daughter, dedicate at least four hours. So four or five days a week doing uh, four hours. Um, okay. So try so to about get 20, 20 hours a week about. Driving. Yeah. 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 To it make, used I mean, to be, it used to be 35 a week um, yeah. back, back in the day, three years ago when I started. Um, but probably in the last year, I've gotten it down to 25, 20 uh, hours a week. That makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're working 20 hours a week and that's about half your income, that's a part-time job. So that adds up. Um, is it lucrative? You know, like, do you like being an Uber driver? You make money the way you want to make it and you don't really have any beefs? Like, what are what are your thoughts? Um, well, it's, it's awesome because people ask this question all the time. So I, I have so many different angles to come at this question because there is a lot of angles to this question. Um, it is lucrative if you have the flexibility and, you know, the determination and the discipline sort of to stick to driving at the perfect times. We're talking like Friday night, starting around five o'clock rush hour up to like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, during the weekdays getting up and driving at like, you know, five o'clock, taking people to the airport until nine o'clock till they get to work. And if you drive all those, you know, juicy hours, um, you can make a decent amount of change. Um, But the thing is, is, yeah, your life will be revolving around when other people are going around doing things and accomplishing things with their life. So then you're kind of stuck with these, uh, you know, discarded hours to do the other things that you want to do. Yeah. I mean, if your prime driving hours are Friday night, that means, you know, you can't, you got to say no to every invitation on a Friday night. You know, that's its own compromise. Yeah. You know, um, so the other and thing to this also, though, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. 
No, the, the the other angle to this was was three years ago. Three years ago, when I started, thirty five hours a week, I could easily get a G in the bank. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then over probably like until like a year ago, it got miserable. Man, it was like eight dollars an hour. Um, it was really really bad. You'd go out even at a prime time, and you couldn't make any more than ten bucks an hour. And yeah, it was it was really really bad. Did um, did something change? What? Why did that happen? Well, so a couple things changed. The first thing Uber did, particularly in my area, was it used to be fifteen percent that they took in the Bay Area, um, and then they bumped that up to twenty five while simultaneously lowering the cost of rides. Now the only people that this hurt were the drivers because Uber was taking in the percentage raise, the loss of profit from you know the cost of rides. And then the passengers were happy because rides costed less. And then the drivers were just, you know, making less money. Um, and at the end right. of the day, they were giving out bonuses for new drivers, $500 if you do this many rides in this many weeks or whatever. Yeah. And so they were just overloading the system with drivers. Um, compromising quality at the same time. A lot of people were being, getting upset at the quality of drivers they were getting and stuff like that. But, you know, Uber didn't care. They were making more cheese. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the theme here, uh, you know, that they're putting profits first. Uh, but I, I mean, I suppose you could make the same criticism of uh, capitalism itself. You know? <laughs> I I think that a lot when we talk about like, oh, my God, tech is out of control, man. Like they don't care about people's privacy. They don't care. You know, all they care about is uh, making money. I was like, well, yeah. Yeah, what do you think? What system you think we're operating in here, man? It doesn't have anything to do with the 21st century. No, yeah, exactly. You think you think Standard Oil was worried about you know people's feelings? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, yeah, it's These appropriate. Guys, it's yeah, appropriate to have this conversation on May 2nd, the day after May Day. You know? Nice, nice. I like that way to throw in that little plug there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's also relevant. It's super relevant because I mean, I I don't want to say I was shocked, but I was pretty surprised to hear that enough Uber and Lyft drivers kind of came together to plan this strike because first of all if they if they pull it off that's a huge deal man i don't i mean i i take uber and lyft but i live in new york city right so i'm not fully dependent on it i have i take subways almost everywhere i walk um i have the use of a car at my job you know uh whatever new york is an easy place to get around i can hail a cab if i need it but i use uber but there are a lot of places where you know people have become dependent on it I'd be very interested to see um, what the impact is, you know, and what users think about this. You know, are you going to alienate people? Is it going to make people pay attention to it? I mean, this is a classic organizing tool, like make people appreciate your service, right? I know. Yeah. I take Uber for granted. I pull my phone out. I'm like, what's up? Come to me, fools. You know, (laughs) like, let me press this button. All of you, you know, uh, uh, now you're at my mercy. Uh, but it's very interesting to think like, yo, man, these are people, this is their, this is their livelihood. Uh, and it is, you know, it's, it's a noble effort with a, with a long tradition behind it. So that begs the question, you, you don't have to answer this on the air, but are you planning to participate in this strike? Yeah, man. Solidarity with the, the working class power to the proletariat. I'm down for the cause, bro. I mean, it's not my main income and I can, I can miss out on a whole day if I need to. And if it means that the message gets, it gets spoken, then yeah, hell yeah, man. Especially in the Bay Area. I mean, you talk about New York and you guys have public transit and all that type of stuff. I mean, here in St. Pete, Pinellas County made a deal with Uber to subsidize low income rides uh, for PTSA, the, the bus company. So basically, we're now buses. We pick people up from bus stops and stuff like that on behalf of the county. 
Um, and yeah, if that wasn't there, there'd be a lot of people that couldn't get to work because um, the bus system here is atrocious. It's never on time. It takes four hours to get across the peninsula of Pinellas County. And you know how small that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's ridiculous. So, you know, yeah, the, Uber is important, uh, especially in this area for public transit and people getting around. And yeah, I think people do take it for granted a little bit, especially Uber. I think uh, I don't think they don't appreciate the some of the people that actually – you know, take pride and 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 do this job as their main source of income, um, and they would miss that. Obviously, they don't exist as a company without all those little people doing their part, which is the case in any type of corporation. But you know, it's especially true in this gig economy, like with Airbnb, where basically the companies are expecting the people to come to the table with all the capital, and it's kind of you know switched up. You know that whole. Why do why do the CEOs get paid? Everyone always says because oh they put the risk in front. But in this whole new gig economy, it's it's the worker putting all the risk up front. I'm driving my car. It's my insurance rate. It's my gas money. All y'all that you're doing is creating a medium for which you know I can make money. Why don't I just take all these people's numbers down, let them call me and pay me cash? You know. It's a good point. You know, if we want to get Marxist about it, you know, it's like yeah, if you whoever owns the means of production, right? Uh, but in this instance, you know, you own the means of production, really. You you own your car. Uh, so it's like <laughs> you're not dependent on them for that. Uh, and it kind of gives a leveraging tool. I mean, I guess the pushback would be like Uber is like, listen, our app is tight. It works, dude. It's GPS enabled. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we do all the bookkeeping for you. Like, our app is the means of production. Um, and you know, there's some validity to that too. I think about that a lot for New York city taxi drivers. Cause I take a, a taxi when I can, even if it's usually like, you know, maybe a couple dollars extra just because I really, I, I empathize with those guys, man. Like being a, being a cab driver in New York city used to be like, you could, you know, you could feed a family yeah. and that was a, that was a good job for an immigrant. And a lot of people, you know, worked hard and bought those medallions. You know, this is true in a lot of big cities in this country where, you know, you had to save up to, to get medallions. Often they were hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to own and operate a cab. And then, you know, then the internet showed up and was like, nah, bro, we don't need your medallions. They suddenly became valueless. And there were all these drivers kind of left in the lurch. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's like sometimes capitalism is a little too successful. You know what I mean? Like we, we get... <laughs> <laughs> like we outdo ourselves we become too efficient you know we're like yeah. hey there's no more fish there's no more fish in the ocean you'd be like oh damn all right uh let's let's figure something else out <laughs> you know yeah uh, so what about the the other stuff well first of all let me ask you this i don't understand how the pay structure works for uber like i saw in this article it's like that saying that the drivers want a minimum wage of 28 dollars um and they say like you know that amounts to 17 dollars after gas tolls other expenses i believe that that's probably a, an accurate estimate but i did not understand my assumption was that uber drivers got a percentage of the rides that they take is that not true how do you get paid no that's true you just get 75 percent depending on where you what area you drive in a certain percent of the fare it is a majority i don't think uber takes any more than 35 in any given area uh, in the Tampa Bay area, it's 25%. So yeah, you get 75% of all the rides you do. They, they tally up the fare and then you get the pocket, all the tip. If anyone tips you. Right. Tip, you know tip what? Your drivers. I'm, I'm glad. Good. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you mentioned it. Cause I'm just going to be really honest right now about tipping, um, and my tipping practices. All right. <laughs> Cause this show <laughs> is about being honest. Um, I'm, 
I'm a I'm a good tipper, right? Like if I go to a restaurant, it's like I leave twenty percent. You know, when I when I went to bars a lot, I was like a dollar a drink. You know, people who I know are dependent on tips. I'm like very careful about it. And when I take a cab, you know, you get prompted, right? Like if you pay with a card and a cab in New York City, there's a button that pops up that's like, you know, it starts at twenty percent. You know, like hit twenty, hit twenty five, hit thirty, and I always hit twenty. Um, but I don't. I'm not. I don't have a good habit of tipping Uber drivers, and I think it's because. Um, I don't really, I don't get prompted to do it until the next time I take an Uber. And by then I forgot whatever, how nice that person was or whatever. I'm kind of just like in a rush. And sometimes I think, uh, that it's not upfront enough. I'm not trying to like blame Uber for not tipping my drivers, but I feel like if I were prompted earlier or like, you know, at the close of the ride or even, you know, I might be better about it. Do you guys talk about that? Do you think that it's structured poorly? How do you get tips? What what do you this think about that? This has been a long and slow trudge for Uber. When the app first came out, they discouraged people from tipping drivers. They said, "Don't tip your drivers." People would get in and they give you cash. And that was cool. Yeah, right? Don't tip your drivers. That yeah. was the message. When you open the app, it said, "Do Why? not tip." This it it's really like doesn't... going to the zoo and they're like, "Don't feed the animals." <laughs> Like why not? They want food. (laughs) (laughs) That's my analogy. You're now you're now a zoo animal, Jordan. Yeah, that can be easily enraged by people throwing scraps at me. Great, that's I love the analogy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess it's better because if you go to the zoo, like the animals might like throw feces at you, and I've never had that experience in an Uber before. So I guess I guess you have that. Knock on wood, my friend. Knock on wood. That's true. That's true. It's it's only ever one one next ride away. Um, so yeah, okay. I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's a problem because, uh, I'm a good tipper and I don't tip Uber drivers and therefore I blame the app and I know that's not fair, but after this conversation, I'll be better. No, yeah. I mean, it's, Uh, it's, it's the app's fault. They should definitely prompt you to tip your driver like in a much easier manner. People get a Myra car and there's like, it's my first time. And they ask me, can I tip you at all? And I have to tell them, yeah, open the app. they'll, They'll prompt you to do like a rating thing, rate me. And if you want to give me a tip, you can give me a tip. But yeah, if you're not in, if you're like running into a business meeting or something, or you're like trying to catch a flight and you're not really of the state of mind to even ask, yeah, the next time you open yeah. your app, you're like, oh, I don't, what was, did this guy drive good? I don't know, whatever. Swipe. I don't it to remember the left that guy. It's gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, I mean, this is a, a kind of a snapshot of my own life. If I'm taking an Uber, I'm, I'm definitely already 15 minutes late for wherever i'm going do you know what i mean like an uber is an uber is an act of desperation for me like if i wake up late like the quickest way to get to work is an uber and i'm like oh damn you know what i'm saying so i'm like in the car like writing emails like definitely not talking to my driver and then just like running out and then that ride is forgotten forever i mean i'd like to see maybe that would be one of the things they could ask i don't know if that's one of the things they want to ask it sounds like what they're asking for is a minimum wage is there not a minimum wage now no, there is not a minimum wage. You're not guaranteed any income when you sign into the app. Only if you get rides are you going to make money. You can sit in that app, and if no one calls for a ride for three hours, you'll make zero dollars. So how would this work if you get $28 an hour? Like, So, um, yeah, that's, it's a weird – Would that change weird, the incentive? So they, they just launched this new program called Uber Pro. Um basically like a reward system for drivers depending on what hours you drive you earn points you earn points you get like six percent cash back at like gas stations and all this stuff um 
I don't know. It's 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 good intention, but it's a little short. The, but you can't get a minimum wage because you'd have people obviously exploiting that that system. They would just sit somewhere with their phone on for yeah. four hours and collect a check. You know what I mean? Just like every other union worker. <laughs> just just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Organized labor people. <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm always reminded. I'm always reminded of uh, the. Uh, I, I had to be the capitalist in the in the conversation, I guess. You know, just to be the foil. But I'm always reminded of the Simpsons episode when Homer becomes a teamster. You know, and he's working on the movie set, and he's like, "This is the life, man." You know, and they're all like taking naps or whatever. You know? <laughs> and then you know that's what that's what aggressive capitalists always say is like, "Oh, they're going to exploit the loophole." You know, I think my uh, my favorite example of how unions and this is not a criticism of unions in general but it's just like my favorite quote about unions and it gives me a chance to do an arnold schwarzenegger uh, impression so bear with me here uh you know years ago i was a part of a task force that was looking into how they could change the juvenile justice system in california so we came up with all these recommendations and we did this big study and finally we got to meet with the governor you know it was pretty cool i sat down at a table with arnold schwarzenegger who you know, I was pretty impressed with him. He's a smart guy. Uh, so we gave, you know, we, and he was interested in criminal justice reform in a way that, you know, Republicans usually aren't. Uh, so we, we gave our plan. And the first step of our plan was like, you know, the staff who are who are charged with taking care of kids uh, in juvenile justice facilities should be, you know, people who have been trained in working with kids similar to teachers you know it should be a different skill set they shouldn't just be like prison guards you know that was our kind of first recommendation based on another model that we saw and arnold schwarzenegger interrupted us to say the prison guards union is the most powerful union in the state (laughs) 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 he said he said that that option is out and because he was a republican he was like very resentful of the prison guards union because he said like every time we try to reform something the union says we can't now that's not to say that collective bargaining is a bad thing um but it is like for me at least a memorable quote like oh yeah sometimes you can meet some obstruction to reform or progress you know depending on what kind of organized labor you're dealing with do, does any part of you feel a little nervous like if their efforts are successful like your work is going to change or your income is going to change? Um, not really. Uh, let's be honest here. Like okay. you joked about earlier, we're all just part of this end game whereby, yeah, we're just drawing maps, uh, on a GPS system somewhere for a robot to follow in the future. So they don't need us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so dark, man. To, you know? it's so dark. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I thought initially, you know, I used to, write a, um, a a daily blog for KSET in Los Angeles, which is their, you know, public, um, public television station had a website. And it was about like the 21st century economy. It was about the gig economy. And this is when Uber was starting to get big. So all of my articles were about like, oh, you know, Uber is going to destroy the livelihood of, of taxi drivers. And I was very sympathetic to their plight. Uh, and in my research, I learned, I was like, wait, Uber is like one of the main investors developing um, driverless cars, you know, uh, and <laughs> I thought, so is 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 the end game like you're just using humans as like a prototype 
for a robot, right? Like once the robot's good enough, there's no reason for Uber to have drivers because robots don't unionize. You know? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, robot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I guess eventually they will, and that will be like how mankind is destroyed. But initially, I would think like that—that that was my sympathy for the Uber driver, which is like, yo, man, like that's the end game. The end game is eventually driverless cars will be successful enough. Um, and maybe I'm misspeaking. I don't. Maybe it wasn't Uber who was the primary investor in, in driverless. It might be Google. Google is an investor in Uber, right? Isn't there a partnership there? Am I using? Um, am I giving misinformation now? Is I this don't know. To Google later, by the way. <laughs> I don't know that specifically. I do know that yeah. Uber has been very open up front about the fact that they have been developing driverless technology, and that's like the end game for them. Um, because I, I often joke about it with all my passengers, like, haha. I'm just, you know, contributing to my own demise here. Um, okay. So <laughs> I just used Google to find out that Google self-driving car investment exceeds $1.1 billion. Uh, so they are a driving force, obviously, in driverless cars. But are they invested in Uber? Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, according to Uber's IPO prospectus, Google parent Alphabet owns a 5.2% stake uh in uber so five percent of uber is not nothing man that's a valuable company uh and it would make sense that they're the ones developing the driverless car you know it's kind of like how um you know the sackler family was like hey let's make a a pain drug that's like really addictive let's just like get everybody hooked on heroin and then let's also treat that addiction as like part of our profit margin you know what i mean (laughs) like yeah you know, I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm sure tobacco companies did that too. I'm sure that's what Juul does. You know, like the executives at Juul are like, "Yo, dude, look at how addictive everybody's everybody's sucking on this USB stick, man. We're gonna be billionaires." Uh, yeah, you, if you want to succeed, m- make an addictive product. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. I guess yeah, I am man. pretty dark, man. There's a lot, a lot of a lot of pull quotes from tonight's episode. <laughs> I, I hope we get. Plenty of calls uh, from, uh, you know, <laughs> organized labor and everybody else. So the one Juul last thing. You, I'm sure the Juul you executives would be mad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because you mentioned the IPO. Uh, they're actually offering Uber drivers yeah. who have been involved long enough with the company and have a certain number of rides, myself included, uh, early shares of the IPO, which is a show of good faith, in my opinion, to at least allow the drivers yeah. to have equity in it, so to speak, and have, you know, residual income coming off of the growth of the uber even if it does mean that we're eventually you know replaced by robots but here's here's an interesting thought if it's profitable enough uh to have driverless cars um then maybe and here i am being an idealistic capitalist again um maybe it's like yo you just you know you sit back and let your shares work for you and you don't have to drive you know like maybe is that no, yeah, is yeah. that the promise yeah, yeah yeah potentially i mean i heard there were a lot of stories in the 90s about you know like a, a someone who worked as a administrative assistant at microsoft and got early shares and then retired when they were 30 uh you know a millionaire yeah i, I oh, yeah, can't yeah. say <laughs> i can't say that's what's going to happen here but you know it's it's obviously a good a good model and it's going to succeed you know uber's not going anywhere as far as i'm concerned no they're um, growing and so they're they're finding I, different I markets to break into, rather than just you know yeah. giving people also, rides like, deliveries 
Yeah, dude. Uh, I've gotten a McFlurry delivered to me by by Uber Eats, so Pathetic. I'm aware of the convenience. Pathetic. <laughs> Pathetic. I remember you had a you had a Facebook post going off on people like if you are using Uber Eats to get McDonald's, go die or something like that. And I, no, and I exactly, like, man. I was like, Jordan, no, I just wanted a listen, McFlurry. <laughs> listen, from my perspective, you are not you're basically saying I'm too good of a person to go sit in the drive through so someone else do it for me. That's what you're saying. And you know what That's Honestly, what capitalism I- is, man. <laughs> you know? No, like if right, I was gonna right. if I was gonna paint if I was gonna paint my house, I was like, listen man, I, I'm not gonna I can't be doing this. I can't be painting my house. I'm not good at it. Sounds like a lot of work. Why don't I get somebody yep. who's a professional who's going to appreciate the business? I mean, yeah, I paid nine dollars for that McFlurry. All right, <laughs> I paid. Which is even well, worse. This, Which is it's even fun- worse. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, rigorous honesty. That's what we're doing on this show. I'll, I'll tell you this because this is relevant. I've been on the other side because I was a Task Rabbit for a long time, um, and I liked Task Rabbit. It was like when I was an undergrad and I had like ten jobs. Um, one of them was Task Rabbit. And, you know, I made money. It was helpful. I was like, oh, damn, I just made 80 bucks. Like, cool, I can get groceries this week. You know, that's where I was in my life at the time. And the one thing that pushed me over the edge, which relates to what you're describing about the audacity of ordering a McFlurry from your phone, (laughs) is, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but in New York City a few years ago, there was uh, a bakery fad called the Cronut. Do you know about the Cronut? I know about the cronut. We have them down here, bro. Okay. Well, the cronuts are everywhere now. I think Dunkin' Donuts has a goddamn cronut now, so it's meaningless. But at the time, um, there was only, you know, Dominique Ancel, uh, the only bakery in New York City that sold the cronut. And every day, a bunch of chuckleheads would line up at 5 in the morning to, you know, to get their cronut, right? And I just would walk past them in Soho and just be like, idiots, idiots, judging people for waiting in line for treats, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when I was cruising for jobs on uh, <laughs> on TaskRabbit, there was a job on there because uh, you bid on jobs, you know, like who lowest bidder wins. Oh wow, uh, How, that is TaskRabbit. perfect. It's, it's a race. That's... It's a race to the bottom, dude. It's, it's so sad, <laughs> right? Scraping the bottom of the barrel to bring exactly. you a cronut. Exactly. Uh, and this guy was like, "I want you to wait in line at Dominique Ansel." get a cronut and deliver it to me in my apartment, right? And he wrote it that way, you know? Deliver oh it to God. me in my apartment. And then the address that he gave was, like, somewhere on the Upper East Side or whatever, you know? So in my mind, I was like, this really is, like, a different kind of gilded age. You know, this person is presumably an, an investment banker or maybe the son of a Russian oligarch or whatever. Uh, and, you know, you can just, like, send, send out a servant, you know, fetch, yeah. fetch me no, a cronut, you, you peasant. corporate, you corporate modern uh, app-driven feudalism. And for him, really, yeah. like, you delivered that cronut, and he closed that door in your face, and he threw that cronut away because it was you that he was really paying for. It was you going to that <laughs> yeah. cronut shop, knowing you waited in line and came up to his penthouse. <laughs> you bid the lowest out of everyone. You just wanted to look yeah, at it. Exactly. Yeah. He wanted to take yeah. you in in all your glory. Yeah. Well, what happened was I was just like, nah, dude, I'm not bringing you a cronut. I'm out. This is disgusting. <laughs> and it like it kind of it, it put me off of TaskRabbit. Like the other things I was willing to do because I was like, I was like, all right, you know, um, you know, 60 something year old woman who lives alone, who like doesn't is, is 
you know, baffled by the instructions to your Ikea furniture. Like I will gladly put your bookshelf together for $80. Like to me, that's worth it. And you know, it's like, I'm kind of providing a certain, truly providing a service in that instance. Um, but some of that stuff just really got kind of sick, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, is anybody on there like, oh, I, you know, like, I want you to get on my coffee table and dance for me and feed me grapes. You know, like, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's on TaskRabbit. <laughs> you know, like. Somewhere, feed somewhere. Feed me grapes. While, yeah. F- feed me grapes while I watch The Bachelor. Like, <laughs> somebody's doing that. Absolutely. The dark the dark yeah. side of capitalism fully yeah. unpacked here here on Margin Call. <laughs> I can't say that there's any type of uh deeper fulfillment from driving people around Uber. Like, you know, the main service I provide to society is making sure people don't drive their cars drunk. But I don't necessarily feel fulfilled when uh there's a bunch of drunk assholes in the back seat of my car squawking and demanding That's that true. I play Drake, you know? <laughs> yeah that's where you got to draw the line man i'll take the no star rating for saying no drake this is a, sorry sir this is a drake free zone i play jazz and 50s talk, and 60s yeah, music yeah. keeps everyone real low key on an even keel keep the yeah, energy good, real man. low you, you give them you give them good energy dude yeah that's yeah. true well i'm curious you know this kind of is a is a very good segue because when you wrote your story you wrote about playing your own music for uber drivers as a way to kind of like promote uh your your music are you still doing yeah. that absolutely man yeah right. you're in my car it's my right. well because you said you said you play you said you play jazz you said you know so, so i didn't know are you still playing some acoustics tracks or what yeah i mix it in there you know obviously you got to judge your crowd you pull up and you got about 40 seconds as you see them walking towards your car to decide you know basically judge yeah. whether they're ready for this this hip-hop experience or if, this fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's safer just to go with something a little uh you know, a little cleaner, a little more family friendly. You know what I mean? Do you announce? Do you say like, "Hey, uh, I'm playing the latest track," you know, from my from my fire mixtape? Or it do depends. you just like do you leave it on the background and, and wait for them to ask? It depends. Yeah. Uh, some people are talkative, so they talk over shit or whatever, and then they start asking you questions, and we get to that point, and they know that it's me. Sometimes I play it, and people shazam it. Sometimes people ask me who is it, and I just say acoustics. Uh, nice, and, nice. and sometimes those people go, oh, yes, I knew that. <laughs> oh, oh, acoustics. I love their early work. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. I just yes. forgot. I had forgotten this was acoustics, yeah. of course. Yeah, underground. Then, very, very underground, yes. And more recently, I've been getting more and more people that get in and, like, just recognize me, which is kind of cool. Nice. Um, I had one guy cool. get in and, and see my medallion that's hanging because I, I announced my name. They say, how do you spell it? And I just point to the medallion. Boom. I'm set up to go, baby. It's a promo vehicle. You know what I mean? Um, nice. You should put stickers on the outside. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to go that level. Because when I'm not driving the rest of my life, I want to be a little incognito. You know what I mean? Maybe a magnet. <laughs> yeah, there Maybe you something, go. Something that comes off easily. Remember when people used to get to support our troops, but it was a magnet? Yeah. So, like, when they didn't want to support the troops anymore, like, you know, the, the war got unpopular. It was, like, easy to... <laughs> Pop the support our troops magnet off. I never thought of that angle. You're right. Go yeah. bumper sticker if you're going to support yeah. the troops. It should you be know what I night. need to do? I need to go get my, like, you know, Buttigieg magnet. You know what I'm saying? So I could, like, as soon as he gets bounced out of the primaries, I'd be like, oh, psych. I would, <laughs> like, how embarrassing would it be to be driving around with a Buttigieg sticker in, like, 2023? You know? Is that how you say his last name? 
I, I read an article that said it, it rhymes with booty judge, like B-O-T-Y-J-U-D-G-E. Oh, no. So that's so that's how I remember it. He was at, he was in Harlem, actually. He was across the street uh, from my job at Sylvia's, you know, the soul food restaurant, having yeah. lunch with Al Sharpton. Oh, um, tight, tight, tight. Well, I guess that's a thing you have to do now if you're like a white Democrat. You know what I'm saying? And, you have to um, eat with Al Sharpton? It's like I, I guess it's a rite of passage if you're a white Democrat. You got to go to Harlem and have lunch with Al Sharpton at Sylvia's. You got to have chicken and waffles with with Al Sharpton at Sylvia's. And you know Bernie Sanders did it four years ago. And at the time, it was like, yeah, you know, he's probably not very popular. You know, he's like an old white guy from Vermont um, who says all lives matter. So it makes sense that he wouldn't be that popular with black voters. And I guess this is you know this is like a uh, an offering or it's, it's symbolic but when when buddha judge did it i was like now it's like damn eating at sylvia's in harlem with al sharpton is like the whitest thing you could do <laughs> you know <laughs> like it just announces how white you are you know what i mean it's like it's like if you're in an airport and you see a starbucks and you go "Ooh, goody it's like it, that's basically the same thing as having lunch with al sharpton and, and sylvia's <laughs> if you're if you're spelling something for somebody on the phone and you say N as in Nancy, that's like just as white as having lunch with Al Sharpton. <laughs> so get at me, Buddha Judge supporters. Although I do like Pete Buddha Judge, I'm not gonna lie. He's you know, he's a smart guy. I like smart people. Cerebral, man. Yeah, he's man. cerebral. Yeah, man. Um, so I am interested in the other uh part of your income, right? Because it sounds like you're leveraging uh you know, at least diversifying a little bit your income. So does this mean that you're an entrepreneur? Tell me about what is your, oh you know, God, no. what's, your, what's your t-shirt company? Like, what are you doing with the studio? What, how else are you making money? Listen, man, everyone on Instagram that travel blogs calls themselves an entrepreneur. We're killing the term. It's, <laughs> we're going back to Renaissance man. I am a Renaissance man, my friend. Nice. Well, Renaissance men had had paid. Well, I guess the Catholic Church, I think, was paying for all of that. So do you have some kind of contract with the Vatican that's <laughs> helping you to put out your fire mixtapes? Uh, I, I can neither like yeah. confirm or deny that. I feel like Pope Francis, he'd be like, yeah, this, this that was lit. Like Pope Francis would uh, would get it. He's well, the he first has Pope he has that meme where he's holding a microphone and someone wrote like, "Oh, it looks like Pope Francis about to drop the hottest mixtape 2016." <laughs> uh, good, man. But uh, yeah, man. I mean, we had the clothing store. I think you knew that for a while. Yeah. Um, it's called Zudaru. Z H U D A R U. Um, it's run. It's run by my good friend an associate uh, who's been recording my music now probably for like two and a half years. But over the process of like hanging out in the studio, we linked up over this clothing brand. We went and rented out a, a unit in like a strip mall just outside of downtown St. Pete. We then, after a year of having the store, opened up or went and got the unit next to it that's connected. Now we have a side room. We're throwing a show here uh, Sunday. We do live music events. We had a block party. Uh, we sell the clothes out. Yeah, man, it's it's all just going wonderfully. And is we, it, I mean, is it profitable? You guys making money selling T-shirts and having shows and stuff? Or are you still kind of digging out? Are you still leveraging some debt? How's you know? How was the work? What does a Renaissance man look like in the 21st century? I mean, we were. I was definitely Ubering more to make up the difference in uh, you know paying for rent for an extra building on top of you know rent where I live and the groceries and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, over just learning the game man we're, we're learning to, how to market ourselves we're learning how to reach out find new customers 
um, how to bring people through the spot, you know, building brand uh, awareness and recognition, at least first in our own city. And it's going real well. And now two months ago, we paid rent for both sides and all the bills based off of booking recording time, booking rehearsal space time and selling clothes. And yeah, we're just continuing to move forward, man. Sounds like a renaissance man to me. Uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with Zudaru, let me just share one of my favorite uh, T-shirts, uh, the elephant. There are a lot of cartoon characters, right? Like you guys have developed your own cast of characters for Zudaru. And my favorite is the elephant uh, because his trunk is, is inserted completely into uh, the funnel of a bong, right? So <laughs> yes. he's, he's like getting probably the deepest bong rip any animal could get because his trunk is just <laughs> has slid right down the shaft of the bong. Yeah. Uh, but so that's my favorite character. There are other characters. If you guys are interested at all, uh, check out the t-shirts. What's, what's your website, Jordan? Zudaru.com, Z-H-U-D-A-R-U. To be honest, the best place to keep up with the brand is on Instagram. Nice. And that's at Zudaru, Z-H-U-D-A-R-U, 1963. Um, and yeah, we got the cannibal line with the elephant, Rafi, Panda. We just released the no pigs line which has been causing a little bit of a stir here in St. Petersburg. Nothing like real noteworthy, but, you know, we've ticked off a couple of sheriff's deputies and uh, police officers wandering the streets of downtown. Of course, I would like to make the point that a pig is just something that roots in other people's business. And not all police, <laughs> not all police are pigs. But if you're a police officer and are offended by the term pig, well, you might just want to look in the mirror. Wow. Wait, okay. Let me just share my short experience with pigs. Uh, I've never had a pig in my business. I'll I'll say that. They're usually just looking for a treat, uh, which I guess police a long time ago and and in much of the world are really just out there looking for a treat. To be like, hey, you know how fast you were going? $40 worth. (laughs) But... And, you know, the United States, man, we pay our cops pretty well, so they don't have to depend on those kind of handouts. But I could see why local law enforcement might not be thrilled about your no pigs line. But, you know, would it really be a 21st century clothing brand if you weren't able to take a stand on law enforcement, man? It is the issue of our time. I guess. It is. It and, is. Uh, as, as long as you're keeping it light. Uh, does that mean that one of the cannibals is not a pig or is like the pig, the one who's like trying to take the weed away from the other cannibals? How does that work out? So Panda's the farmer. Panda disappears one night and the cannibals are looking for Panda so they can get the sweet, sweet Heacons. Um, Cause you know, they're all looking for the last of the Mohicans. And uh, so uh, <laughs> they go to deep dive, deep <laughs> yeah. dive into the uh, mythology of Zudaru, everybody. So, <laughs> so, they, so we have characters that are introduced, but I'll say this. There is a Rastawala who is a koala that is Rastafarian and he sells right. them. He sells them some Reggie. Elephant gets his nose stuck in a bong. Raffi wakes up and his neck's too short and uh, they got to go find Panda and the pigs have chased him off. I, I can't wait until the, the Pixar film comes out. <laughs> well, hey, that's actually the goal, you know, uh, long term is to actually, you know, kind of tell the story through clothing until we get to a point where we can actually pay for the animation and develop some kind of cartoon, you know? Nice. Uh, before we get out of here, I'm curious what as an Uber driver, uh, what are what are your you know tips, reminders, requests for uh, Uber passengers? What can we do to be better passengers? What can we do to be supportive for those of us who want to support this effort? What uh, what is what? How can we help? 
Uh, I mean, I'm not a. I don't think that uh, in the long run that we should rely on citizens to supplement other citizens' income. Uh, yeah, tip your Uber drivers. It helps a lot. You know, if you're going like a block, we only get like three bucks. Okay, it's not too tight. Uh, you know, a couple bucks here, there, it helps. Even if it's just one dollar, just you know, help. And um, what should what should people do on May eighth, on the day of the strike? Don't take Ubers. You have friends with cars. You can walk, yeah. bike. I mean, yeah, prepare for it now. It's what I don't know when this is coming out or anything, but yeah, I would say support your fellow citizens. It always, you know, when we talk about this minimum wage debate and we talk about like McDonald's workers, for instance, it always becomes one member of the working class against the other member of the working class. No, we're all on the same team here, okay? This is team uh, working class, which is for it's a majority of Americans. Um, so yeah, support the working class, man, because in the long run, it's in your own interest and it's not ambulance drivers against McDonald's drivers. It's, Hey, let's get at, let's get the lowest of, you know, our jobs, at least a livable income, you know, reasonably livable where they can have a savings account and build towards their dreams. And then, yeah, everyone above that should probably move up a little. And we're only talking about maybe slashing, but I don't know just a small percentage of the upper incomes in order for everyone to get their necessities before we even start talking about luxuries. And that's my opinion. Well said. Well said. Jordan, it has been a delight. Thank you for making time to come on the show tonight. This has been hugely illuminating for me. Uh, So I appreciate your time. And I assume hugely illuminating for our listeners. Uh, Thanks to everybody for joining us tonight for this very lively debate with, you know, plenty of tangents, to be sure. <laughs> oh, tangents galore. Yeah. That that was sure. one. Yeah, our producer, uh, E-Ming, is chiming in <laughs> because she's the one who's going to have to edit this. So, like, at the 25-minute uh, mark, I looked down, and I was like, oh, 25 minutes. And then I looked up, and I saw her face, and it was just – she was just <laughs> shaking her head as we yeah. rambled on about something or yes. other. Yeah. Prob- probably the cannibals. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> She, she keeps us on task. We wouldn't be able to do it without her. <laughs> Jordan, this has been a hugely illuminating conversation. Uh, and at the bottom of the show, as always, I like to remind people, if you're a fan of Margin Call uh, or an occasional listener, you can support our efforts by going to our site, questonmedia.com, K-W-E-S-T-O-N, media.com. Clicking on the donate button at the top of the page. We can't do it without your support. Thank you, as always, to Eming, our producer, keeping us on task, or at least trying to keep us on task. <laughs> it's a it's a noble job. Uh, and thanks to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. Like, bro, you're not an entrepreneur. You're like unemployed and just trying to find side hustles. No, you're broke and the system's broken. So now you have to like sell your soul on the side. So you're not an entrepreneur. You're a victim. That's what you are. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California. 